This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, September 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... We cannot give up the gains and the improvements that we've made over the last two months with Labor Day weekend coming before us. With the seven-day average of COVID-19 cases trending down, the governor calls the coming days critical. Then the Magnolia State is one step closer to having a flag featuring the celebrated flower. Plus, in today's book club, we revisit a conversation with Mississippi Delta native and renowned writer Julia Reed, who died last week. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. State officials are warning Mississippians to continue to wear masks and avoid large gatherings ahead of the Labor Day holiday. The summer holidays of Memorial Day and Independence Day led to spikes in COVID-19 cases. Governor Tate Reeves says the state is seeing a reduction in the number of coronavirus cases, citing the state's current seven-day average as a slight improvement over last week. He's urging Mississippians to stay diligent ahead of the Labor Day holiday. We cannot give up the gains and the improvements that we've made over the last two months with Labor Day weekend coming before us. We know that we need to be especially cautious going into Labor Day weekend. I'm asking every single one of you to be on your guard. We can make a difference if we commit to it and if we work together. We can continue to see declining numbers which will allow us to get back more towards normal. But please, this weekend, have a cookout in your backyard with your kids, and only your kids, the ones that you live with. Relax. Take it easy. But please do your best to avoid huge gatherings. And if we can all do that, we can get through this safely. Reeves, who is asking Mississippians to avoid large gatherings, was notably in attendance at Republican National Convention events last week that featured large and, in some cases, unmasked crowds. The most high profile of these events was President Trump's acceptance speech on the White House front lawn in front of a crowd of over 350 people. Reeves has defended his attendance at these events as protected rights. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says maintaining good mitigation practices is even more critical as more schools are scheduled to open in the coming week. Dobbs says there are more than 500 teachers and 3,700 students quarantined statewide. He also wants residents to understand the role quarantining plays in slowing the spread of the virus. I would encourage everybody to look at the front end of this. Not be aggravated at the quarantine, but aggravated at the reason for the quarantine. And the reasons for the quarantine, by and large, are unsanctioned, potentially you know, illegal based on executive order, social events where people are transmitting coronavirus. This is a mechanism where we can keep kids from perpetuating the transmission in schools. The quarantine is to contain, right? 
Every kid who's on quarantine is not going to get sick. And I think that's a little bit of understanding of, hey, my kid's not sick while I'm in quarantine. It's like, no, it's because we want to prevent that next level. And your child may become sick or your child may be asymptomatically a spreader and, and perpetuate it to other folks. So it's an unfortunate thing that we have to do. But if we have the proper planning in the schools, we can absolutely minimize the number of kids who have to quarantine. And if we really cut back on the, the really unnecessary social stuff that's going on, we're going to be a lot better shape. Dobbs also said a child between one and five years old has died from coronavirus-related multi-system inflammatory syndrome. He says the death is indicative of how the virus spares no age group. He wants Mississippians to know that the virus is not only deadly, but can have lasting effects for those who contract it. It can, it can be deadly. Um, I don't want to get coronavirus. I don't want my kids to get coronavirus um, because something bad could happen. It's it's not just a virus that just kind of comes and goes. It attacks your blood vessels. Um, And for kids and adults, too, it causes an immune response that can be very damaging, like this Missy thing. So, you know, take it seriously. Uh, It's easy to say, well, most people don't get over it. Well, if it's your family or if it's you, that's huge. So just please take it seriously. And, it, and it's not like we have to live in a cave for the next year. It's we just have to do some simple things is just adjust our social schedules a little bit, wear a mask, stay away from others. That, that's really all it takes. So please just do the simple things to protect yourself and your family. Governor Reeves announced the launch of a $19 million program to provide personal protective equipment and testing to long-term care facilities. CARES Act Money is funding the project, which is being administered by the Mississippi Development Authority. Reeves says he hopes the program will pave the way for more in-person visitation at those facilities. I do believe it's going to have a wide financial impact for that industry. And my greatest hope is that it allows for increased testing and increased resources to help more families see loved ones in nursing homes, but also to be able to do so in a safe, responsible way. We know we have to protect those most vulnerable amongst us from COVID-19. We know those that are older are more vulnerable and more susceptible to this virus. We also know those that are living in many of these facilities that have pre-existing conditions, that have comorbidities, are more vulnerable than others. But we also know that loneliness is a powerful disease. It can be deadly, and we have to do everything we can to guard against that as well. Each of these facilities has the option at this point in this pandemic to provide some safe ways for visitation, but hopefully these resources can help them get what they need to make it safe and possible if the facilities have not already been able to do so. During yesterday's briefing, Governor Reeves also implied the novel coronavirus escaped from a lab in China, a claim lacking any current reputable or verifiable evidence. Dr. Dobbs confronted theories that deaths related to COVID-19 are being overreported by providing examples of what constitutes a coronavirus-related death and what doesn't. He says death certificates are scrutinized closely to determine if COVID was a contributing factor. And just for a fun exercise, I pulled out a couple of excerpts from from death certificates so you could understand a little bit how we determine if it's a COVID-related death. I mean, there's been a lot of um, crazy theories out there about how this works. And so I'm going to read a couple of them to you, and you can figure out if you think it's a COVID-related death or not. Um, Acute respiratory failure, 
secondary to COVID-19 and pneumonia. That's a COVID death. COVID caused respiratory failure and pneumonia. Acute respiratory failure from COVID-19, it's a COVID-related death, obviously. Pneumonia from COVID-19, that's a death from coronavirus, no doubt. But it has two entries on the death certificate, right? Heart disease with COVID-19 and myocardial infarction was not counted as a COVID death. Cardiopulmonary disease, heart disease, diabetes with contributing factor COVID, not counted as a COVID-related death. Cardiopulmonary arrest, heart failure, COVID-19, and hypertension, not counted as a COVID-related death. We take it very seriously and look into this very closely to make sure that it was COVID that caused the organ dysfunction, especially respiratory dysfunction. Just because you have coronavirus, even if you, even if it is part of the disease process, and perhaps we're over-conservative, but the people in Mississippi who have died from COVID that we're reporting definitely died from coronavirus. So, so please, let's put that southerness to rest. The Department of Health reported 33 new deaths bringing, uh, yesterday and bringing the total to 2,526. Coming up, the Magnolia State is one step closer to having a flag featuring the celebrated flower. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A final state flag design has been chosen and Mississippians will soon vote on its adoption. After weeks of debate, the commission to design the new flag voted 8 to 1 for a design featuring a magnolia. It was one of over 3,000 designs the commission considered and beat out the Great River flag for the chance to go on the ballot in November. Lawmakers voted in June to retire the 1894 flag with the Confederate battle emblem, a symbol condemned by many as racist. Former Mississippi Supreme Court Justice Reuben Anderson chairs the commission. He closed the selection process reflecting on his personal experiences and promoting the message, the new flag sends the nation. I grew up in Mississippi in the 40s and 50s. And all of my life, Mississippi has been at the bottom, 50th, in whatever category you can think of, whether income, health care, education, We've always been on the bottom. On November 3rd, I think that'll take a change. Uh, we won't move to the top, but I can assure you we will move. And how in the world is it that Mississippi could be on the bottom with all of the tremendous assets and resources that we have? We have the greatest people, the most talented and gifted people, the greatest poets and authors, musicians, We are the birthplace of America's music. We have the most fertile soil. Anything will grow in Mississippi. From cotton to watermelons to catfish, it'll grow here. We have timber and oil and gas, the Mississippi River and 90 miles of beaches. There's no reason for us to be on the bottom. 
We'll be on the bottom all of my lifetime, but my children and grandchildren will see us ascend. And it'll happen because of what you have done to bring this great object to the people of Mississippi to vote on. I'm so thrilled that you decided to take the flower of the magnolia tree, a tree that's been around 90 million years. And the thing about a tree is different than anything else. The oldest living organism on earth is the mazuzulum tree that has been growing for 5,000 years in the desert of California. 5,000 years from now, our flag will be growing and showing and blooming. And we'll send a message to all of America that we are open for business. We'll send a message that we live in the future and not in the past. That was a great philosopher and spiritual leader who lived 3,000 years ago. And he told his people, he say, we grow trees over rice. And that's what we're doing. We're growing trees over rice. And we're looking to the future. Judge Reuben Anderson was the first African-American to serve on the Mississippi Supreme Court. Oxford Mayor Robin Tannehill also serves on the commission. She tells our Kobe Vance the flag is hopefully something all Mississippians can unite behind. Now, I'm really excited about our choice today. This flag represents Mississippi so well. It represents us as the hospitality state. We've been branded as the Magnolia State for many years. And so I know that as people across the nation view this flag, they will immediately say Mississippi. And what a flag. I mean, it's just a beautiful flag for us to all unite behind. I think it's one that everyone will be proud to fly. And um, it's been such a rewarding process to see how many folks across our state have engaged in the process. You know, we received more than 3,800 entries as we were um, soliciting entries for flag designs. Everything from on notebook paper by kids with crayons to beautiful designs by graphic designers. So this has been a very rewarding process. And over the past few weeks, I've seen that, you know, you know, you've been outspoken yourself in just making sure that the flag is um, very precise and like um, picking out uh, the best details and comparing it to other flags. And uh, you've been on the front lines of just uh, bringing up conversation about certain parts of the flag. Um, throughout this whole process, what, how important was it to get everything right uh, in regards to uh, making sure it represents all Mississippians? Well, I was an art major, and so I know that I have attacked it really from that angle. But I do think every detail needs to be perfect. This is the flag that we will have hundreds of years from now, I hope, flying over all of our state and local buildings and, you know, people having it on their, uh, you know, hanging in front of their homes. And this is what will represent us as we move forward. So I think paying attention to detail is critical. The colors, the design, what does it stand for? Even the font, I, I felt like was something that we really needed to get right. And then in today's meeting, you brought up the idea that maybe Mississippians should have had a chance to uh, voice more of their opinions, like specifically here in Mississippi, have just have like some kind of poll before it goes to the final or even like have two options. Um, What were your concerns there? And um, why do you think um, and what do you think is going to happen now that we have just the one option that's going to be being submitted? 
Yes, I, you know, like I said, I have been so encouraged by the amount of public participation that we've had. And one thing that I've consistently heard as I've spoken to groups and visited with people is, oh, I wish that we got to vote on the final flag. I do wish that we could put both of these flags on the ballot and let the people of Mississippi decide. But that's simply not how the legislation was structured. Um, I've heard over the past week as people have seen the polls, you know, people from outside of our state have been able to vote. And, and that has bothered a lot of people. Um, the deadline in the legislation was September the 14th, and so several of us were speaking yesterday and said, wouldn't it be great if we could have a poll of just Mississippi registered voters so that we knew truly, you know, we want this flag to be embraced. And, and so I felt like if we had time, I, I thought a poll would be very useful and would also be able to generate more excitement across the state about this choice. But the time simply wouldn't allow, and I certainly understand, and I, I do believe the commission may a fabulous choice today. And then lastly, um, looking at the flag that we've chosen today, or that y'all have chosen today, um, what are your thoughts on it? Um, do you like this flag the best? Um, was this your choice? And, um, you know, looking at the future, what do you, what's the, what do you think the future is for this flag? Yes, this I am glad to say this is the flag that I that I chose, and I am I'm super excited about the design. I think that it represents everyone. I think that it is a flag that, from the colors to the different elements, from the magnolia to in God we trust, the number of stars, the first star for our Native Americans. I think that it's a star that we uh, that is a star that represents the first citizens of our state, and, and I think that um, this is a flag that everyone can unite under. If approved by the legislature, the flag will be subject to an up or down vote. If voters accept the design, it will become the new state flag. If they reject it, the design process will start anew and Mississippi will remain a state without a flag for a while longer. Coming up in today's book club, we revisit a conversation with Mississippi Delta native and renowned writer Julia Reed, who died last week. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. We are how you could drive in theater. We're the last operating drive-in in the state of Mississippi. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Freaked me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. She was born and raised in the Mississippi Delta and grew up to be a writer. She wrote about the food and culture of the South, about entertaining and her observations of the people around her. Julia Reed was 59 when she passed away last week. In today's book club, a conversation from 2018 with the spirited writer on her final book, South Toward Home. The nice thing about living where we live is that all you have to do is kind of look at the window most days. I mean, there's a piece in this book that is about a woman who went to her own funeral. I mean, we all go to our own funerals, but usually we're in a pine box. This woman had obviously some very clear notes that as soon as she, like, sort of shuffled off this mortal coil that before she hit rigor mortis, they, like, bent her into a seated position so that at her funeral, which was held at a theater, a big theater in New Orleans, she could sit on stage in a chair, holding a goblet of champagne in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And she was surrounded, like she had a little cocktail table with an ashtray on it and like a bucket of champagne, which was her favorite. And her picture in this 
get up, and she had like a you know like a nice cocktail dress. Made the front page of the paper, which was actually kind of creepy, but um, or not kind of creepy, it was super creepy. But that's the kind of thing that like, if I wrote as fiction, people would say, all right, now you're going a little over the top. Like, you know, when there's an expression down here for good reason, you can't make this stuff up, mm-hmm. and I don't have to. You know, that sort of gets your attention, right? And I've got a deadline looming, and I think, okay, well, I'll write a piece about people that go to their own funerals in slightly unusual ways. Julia, is your life funny, or do you just write funny? Oh, man, I think life is pretty funny. You know, there are two ways to look at it. You can, the world right now is fairly, you know, you could make the case it's pretty scary and depressing and crazy. You know, most things are funny. The doctors will tell you now, it's really, really good for you. I'm kind of weirdly in a perpetually pretty good mood, except when I'm on deadline and then I, you know, I always think the world's about to end. And I'm fortunate enough, I mean, like I grew up in the Mississippi Delta and we were a pretty sparsely populated place for a long time and there's still not all that many people around. You know, everybody I grew up with is funny. I didn't know what real Chinese food tasted like because I've been eating a version of Delta Chinese food all my life till you go to Chinatown. It's like you get out of town and you realize, oh, this is what Chinese food tastes like. Well, I got out of town and also realized, you know, most people aren't all that funny, which was a huge shock. My parents are really funny. And, uh, I mean, that's kind of my number one criteria for hanging out with somebody. I mean this as a compliment. It's almost like... When you read what you've written, it just happened to you. You came in, you sat down, and you wrote it. Well, no, I take that as a compliment. There's an, actually, there's an essay in this book. I broke my elbow a couple of years ago crossing the street in New Orleans, which is a dangerous thing. I mean, you could get shot or you could fall in the pothole, which is <laughs> And um, I couldn't type. I mean, I was in this ridiculous cast, and so I couldn't type. And everybody's like, oh, don't worry about it. There's all these apps for that. Well, I mean, Siri can't even understand me on my phone, so I was a little... I wasn't very helpful. And sure enough, none of the apps, the dictation apps, understood a single word I said except for the profanity which would come out of my mouth after they screwed up all my sentences. And then I'd have to erase that. So it was not a good system. But it was funny because people have always told me kind of what you did, and I take it as a high compliment. Like, you know, you just you write just like you talk. But, I mean, I think what you realize that what people call a voice with a writer is kind of a slightly more fine-tuned, heightened version of that person's voice if i have a thought and i'm in the car and i'm you know i know i'm working on something and i think i better dictate this before it runs out of my brain pan i will turn on my phone and like dictate the line and it's never as punchy as when i type it there's something about the alchemy of your fingers hitting the keyboard or before that your pen to paper it took me a long time to be able to sort of achieve the same raw or natural voice on a keyboard, I used to write stuff out in longhand and, and then retype it. I mean, I joke about it, but it's not its not really a joke. I've written some of my best stuff on the back of vomit bags on airplanes because, <laughs> well, because you can listen to your own voice. You know, it's one of the few places that you can't have a cell phone. And I try to look like Clint Eastwood when people start talking to me next, next to me. And so you really have some quiet time and you're suspended in midair and it's kind of a good time to listen to the sound of your own head. And so all of a sudden, stuff comes really clearly into your brain pan, and you've got to scribble it down, and there, there you go. You've got this vomit bag all white and pristine in front of you. And sometimes I do run in the house if I've had a thought and, and type it down. Julia Reed is the author of South Toward Home, Adventures and Misadventures in My Native Land. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. 
Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.